I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. In the course of having these conversations for our series on healing, which we're now over halfway through with, we realized that we needed to talk to someone, a couple of people actually, about what happens in a person's mind, what, what happens in a person's life when healing needs to happen in a very specific area. See, sometimes we talk about healing, I've talked about healing in, in a very general way. Oh, we all have something we need to heal from. Uh, there's a wound, there's a, a scar that we know is there, but we've never actually processed. There's this this feeling or this experience that we we need to dig into. But a lot of times, healing is not just this generalized, oh yeah, I've got these problems, but it's sometimes rooted in something very, very specific. There's this particular struggle, this particular attachment, this particular addiction that needs to be overcome. And we can't arrive at a place of restoration. We can't arrive at a place of healing. We can't talk about the whole story until we've addressed that, for lack of a better way to put it, elephant in the room. And talking about addiction a lot of times can be a little scary. Maybe the conversation about addiction brings up your disordered attachments. Maybe the conversation about addiction reminds you of people in your life who have hurt you as they themselves struggled. Maybe the, the, the discussion about addiction leads you to a place of thinking, oh, well, that's not something I deal with, and so you turn it off. But then it's actually just an avoidance tactic because you realize, no, there is something that I, I perhaps am unhealthily attached to. I have a disordered attachment to, and, and you just don't want to deal with it. And I say that not just about you, the listener, but maybe even about me, the person who had this conversation. I think when we talk about healing in very general terms, that can be very good. That can be very helpful. And I think a lot of the different ways we've done that this season so far have helped you hopefully come to a deeper understanding of your own woundedness. But this week, we want to take a, a close look and start to peel back the layers a bit of where sometimes healing is specifically needed because of this particular thing that we cling to and that we hold on to in life in a disordered way. To have that conversation with us about specifically addiction and recovery from addiction and healing that is found when a person enters into recovery. I wanted to sit down with Scott Weeman, an author, the founder of Catholic in Recovery, as he'll tell you, an addict who has entered into a phase of his life where healing has been found and where now he can walk with people on their own journey of healing and try to not only listen to his story, which he tells beautifully, but dig into what this practically can look like for the person who is struggling, for the person who has a loved one who is struggling, for the person who has dealt with this in the past, who is on a journey of ongoing recovery. We, we can't talk about healing unless we dig into the specifics of healing from addiction and what that can look like in a variety of different ways and what that can look like with Catholic in recovery, this amazing program that Scott has created. This is part of our whole Ave Explores series on healing, you can find more at AveMariaPress.com. Click at the top and you'll find all the other excellent podcasts that we've created this season. We hope you really enjoy, for now, this conversation with Scott Weeman about addiction and healing. Well, Scott Weeman, welcome back to Ave Explorers. Thanks, Katie. Great to be here. 
Yeah. So I feel like the last time we talked, the world was entirely different. We were in the midst of a, the first time, like we had no idea what was coming. And then we were in the midst of a COVID lockdown. And so we kind of rehashed some of that mental health series that we did. So I, I, I guess I have to just ask, how have you been? How have the past two and a half years of the complete upheaval? I know you're in California, so you had a very different COVID than I had. How are things? Things are well. Yeah, we've uh, survived. We've um, added to our family. We've had two COVID babies. So oh, wow. our youngest, <laughs> our youngest turning one and uh, another little girl who's going to turn two in June. Uh, so yes, our family has grown. You know, staying out of isolation, though, is is key, both for mm-hmm. me personally, for others in recovery. Boy, I am. Uh, yes. Isolation is like this pull that wants to bring us in like a vacuum, but got to stay away. It's, it's for anyone in the spiritual life, you know, seeking yeah, connection with God and others is key. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned, especially with addiction, you know, that isolation. I remember you saying that I went back and listened to our podcast from the middle of COVID. We had you, Sister Miriam, Roy, we had just kind of the, you know, the experts, all who are coming on this series, by the way, <laughs> joining us to talk about how we could potentially approach the next couple of years. And then now that we're coming out of it, I, I'm going to choose to believe that it's mostly over. I think we're looking back and realizing what we did well, what we did poorly, what we need to do, God forbid, the next time. And that isolation is is huge. I've noticed it in kids. You know, Rose is in kindergarten. She just started And the teacher kind of told us, she was like, look, your kindergarten ready kids, even if they went to pre-K three and pre-K four, this is the first of the most normal school years they've had. So here are the things I need you to work on, like simple stuff, like opening up applesauce packets, which you've had, you've been doing for them for two years because they've been home or making sure that they know how to sit still because they've been bouncing off of a couch because they've been home with you. And that has kind of alerted me to this reality that I think a lot of us and I'm working it on a real time as I try to say this, a lot of us started to do things or started to stop doing things during COVID that now we're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta nip that in the bud. I gotta fix that. I gotta get rid of that. I gotta overcome that. What are you seeing specifically with Catholics in recovery? And tell us a little bit about the mission of your ministry and how it came to be. What are you seeing as people come to you? Yeah, that's um, seeing a lot of that. And, you know, we really need to relearn a lot of things. Uh, we've probably learned how to cope through the pandemic. And just like the way addiction starts within individuals. And when I say addiction, I'll refer to all sorts of addictions, compulsions and unhealthy attachments, alcoholism, drug addiction, compulsive overeating, restricted eating, gambling addiction, pornography and lust addiction, technology addiction, gambling, or and I said that shopping, dating, codependency, all these things. And, you know, these often these patterns start as a means to cope with life and as a means to cope with situations, our own anxiety, how to, you know, conditions around us, then those things can take a, you know, oftentimes in a, in a person who doesn't become addicted or doesn't have an addiction, those they'll kind of stop doing those things once the circumstance in their life is, has kind of passed. Mm-hmm. However, you know, those, uh, if it takes on a life of its own, if the circumstance with, from which we're you know, seeking freedom from anxiety or whatever passes, but we're still maintaining those old behaviors, then that needs to be taken a look, you know, taken a look at, you know, oftentimes we certainly look at, see a lot of co-occurring dis- uh, disorders with substance mm-hmm. use or other addictions, along with mental health challenges. That's a topic that we might be exploring in the conversation today. But certainly, you know, over the course of the last two and a half years, as people have been in more isolated situations, I have seen a lot of people who have resorted to substances as a means to cope with challenges. 
as a means to cope with their, maybe their loneliness or just um, boredom or passing time, or they didn't have as many responsibilities or they weren't accountable to as many things or as many people. And so the patterns of compulsive behavior can, can take over. Mm-hmm. St. Thomas Aquinas says that we seek four things in place of God, pleasure, power, pleasure, power, honor, and wealth. And, mm-hmm. you know, seeking those things can be a replacement for God in some ways. And, you know, these shortcuts, these shortcuts to dealing with life, coping, they can take on a life of its own. And so mm-hmm. seeing many people who's, you know, in all sorts of demographics and people in life, a higher number of stay-at-home moms who are suffering from alcoholism and addiction. And, you know, it starts with just one or two drinks in an evening on a regular basis, a glass of wine at the four o'clock or five o'clock hour. And, and that just becomes habitual over, you know, doing that regularly over some months. We also, you know, tolerance is also a part of addiction. And so, and that's one of the things, oftentimes people struggle with this idea. Am I an addict? Do I have an addiction? That word addiction is various fraught with all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. I really don't care what people refer to it as, as long as there is some honest assessment of one's life and a willing to almost an objective look. Now, we may not be able to be have an objective view of our lives as we get so wrapped up in these things, these mm-hmm. compulsive behaviors and such. So, yeah. How have you seen it? How have you seen uh, some oh, of these patterns taking place? Well, you, you make you make the comment about the isolation. I found in, in families what we've done is become attached to the thing that just gets us through the day. So whether it's ordering food out because like, I just don't have the, I don't have the mental or the physical energy to cook right now, or I'm just going to turn on the TV and quiet the world down. My kids will actually be still for a few minutes and I can get something done. Even if it's just scrolling on my phone, I, I found that addiction perhaps starts with, and this is purely just from a a non-professional perspective, starts with, it's just the easy way out. Like you mentioned, it's the thing to do that just makes it all a little bit better in that moment. And then we become used to it. And so then we, and we like it. And so then it just becomes a bigger and bigger part. And, And you go from, okay, I'm spending 15 minutes a day on my Instagram, just looking to, I don't know the last time I looked up from my phone and I've completely missed what's going on. And then like I'll find, especially if I'm too attached to my phone, I, I get annoyed with all the things that I wasn't doing when I was doing that thing. And so then it just compounds and it becomes now I'm just going to try to, this is not turning into a therapy session here, but basically that these attachments, it's almost as if we all know that we have them. We all know there's a disorder, some more intensely in people's lives than others. And yet, there is that, okay, but I don't want to be like, I don't know very many people who actually enjoy their addictions. They enjoy what they do to them. But then after the fact, there is a great amount of shame and a great heaviness. And you start to see how it's negatively impacting the people around you. And so that this whole series on healing is really kind of about two moments. What happens when we're healed? But then really even like, how do you get somebody through the door? How does somebody get themselves through the door? to find that healing. And I, and I started with the whole COVID thing because that's the last time you really talked in depth, but I'm noticing that there is this desire. Healing is kind of a buzzword in the church right now. And there's lots of books and there's lots of podcasts. We're doing an entire series on it. What do you find is often the first trigger in somebody's mind? They wake up from a stupor. They, they look at their bank account and they realize it's empty. Like whatever it happens to be, what is often the trigger to, I need help and I need to find healing? And what's the difference between, I just need help. I'm going to go through 12 steps and 
I actually want my life to be different. And this program is going to launch me into something totally different. Yeah. So what typically begins someone seeking healing is facing consequences, Mm. facing the consequences, the natural consequences of our behavior. And that in and of itself is a, some, you know, those consequences oftentimes need to be dire in order for us to seek Mm. change. Hence, we refer to this term rock bottom, hitting rock bottom. You know, it's and, and in some situations, you might not hit, you know, the person who is spending too much time on their phone, comparing themselves, what they should be doing to what they're seeing other people doing and the, what they're consuming. It might be challenging for that person to actually hit rock bottom because the consequences are so nebulous. They're so mm-hmm. they're so hard to pinpoint to that particular thing. And also, this is why, you know, family members who might question, how do I support my loved one who's struggling with an addiction? I'll say this with as much love as I possibly can. Diverting the person from experiencing the natural consequences of their behavior by means of, you know, getting in the way of them, you know, maybe stepping in and assuming the consequences for the other person Mm -hmm. does not do any good as to find long-term healing. In fact, it often just prolongs healing. Mm-hmm. There are incredible forces working against the person who needs help, seeking help. And those forces are heavy denial, denial, shame, fear, isolation. You know, there's so much, so much of that makes it so hard for us to take that step. We might know that we need it, but we might even actually stop. Conf- we might even stop ourselves from getting honest with ourselves in the moment because it's really it's it's a lot for us to handle. It's a lot for mm-hmm. us to take. We would almost rather keep our heads in the sand then be aware of the mistakes that we're making. This is true of people who suffer from other diseases and mm-hmm. our humans, we have a natural tendency to avoid um, our mortality mm-hmm. you know, in some ways. I was turned on to this by um, Anthony D'Ambrosios uh, shared about a book called Change Your Diet. It's a secular book by Alan Deutschman. And it speaks of the fact we oftentimes try to initiate change by providing a whole bunch of facts and fear. <clears throat> if we just tell the person what they're losing, the consequences, basically what they already know, you know, that your life is, your your life is going in the wrong direction. Haven't you thought about this and this or providing fear? Like if you keep going in this direction, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. The person who is struggling with an addiction, compulsion or unhealthy attachment often knows that they're they're very aware of that. But what instead is helpful for initiating change is a three-phase process of relate, repeat, and reframe. We find an individual or a group who, with whom we can relate to. This happens in the church, in the in recovery communities, a, a group of people who can kind of share with us, almost share our story to us in some ways. Then that becomes with that relationship, we begin to repeat some really healthy new patterns, which we wouldn't otherwise be able to either come to on our own or even practice or exercise on our own. It requires some accountability. It requires some regular contact with the individual or group. And then from there, we can reframe our lives with this vision of hope, which is a really important part of the healing process. Mm -hmm. I don't know if healing is possible without hope. And there is such little hope in the lives or the families of those impacted by addiction. So that's kind of how I would spell it out. You know, oftentimes that, and it has, you know, oftentimes kind of in that moment, maybe the morning after or the, you know, viewing the bank account or a message that says an overdraft or something like that can be for a short period of time, you know, those windows of grace, those windows of willingness aren't open for all that long. It's really important that action is taken there because addiction oftentimes tends to be a disease that makes us believe we don't have a disease. I would, I would Mm -hmm. categorize addiction as a spiritual disease. And it is a disease that makes us want to believe we don't have a disease. This was my case. I was 
you know, a regular basis, drinking every day for about nine years, took my first drink at age 17. By God's grace, as of today, I had took my last drink at age 26. Mm -hmm. In that nine years, I loved the effect of alcohol and drugs and other addictions, compulsions. And I wanted more and more and more. And it started, it was fun for a moment, but it had its consequences. And the only way that I knew how to avoid those consequences, both internally and externally, was by going back to the to the poison, really. Um, and so, yes, over time. And, but if I would go two or three days without taking a drink, I would think, you know, maybe I'm not that bad. Or actually, this would happen really on a daily basis. I would wake up thinking, today's going to be different. Today's going to be the day I do something different. You know, going to work, hydrate, enough caffeine. And then by noon, I'm thinking, man, that commitment I made earlier in the day, was, I think I was overreacting a little bit. And, you know, then I'm jonesing for a drink. And yeah, the, you know, this, that, that day repeats on a regular basis for mm -hmm. the person who's stuck in addiction. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Scott. I wanted to take a quick moment and tell you about this week's sponsor. States of Faith is a new and growing brand for Catholics who love the rosary, check, and are proud of where they live, also check. States of Faith features high quality products with images of your state outlined in, get this, the rosary. So your, your state is outlined in the rosary on say a t-shirt or a tank top, coffee mug, a sticker. They are currently launching their fall product line to include long sleeve pocket tees, baseball tees, drop hoodies, and quarter zips. Love a good quarter zip. The collection includes all 50 states, plus Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico. Every state has the crucifix of the rosary intentionally placed on the state capitol. It's pretty cool. Entrust your state to Mary's intercession. I have the Louisiana sticker on my computer. I have it on one of my notebooks that I use when I take notes while I'm interviewing people on my water bottle. You can rep your state and your faith. Check it all out over at statesoffaith.com. Click down in the show notes for a discount code. That's States of Faith, this week's sponsor. Okay, let's get back to the conversation with Scott Weeman. I think one of the interesting things is we know that addiction, and I'm specifically thinking of pornography addiction, it, it can change the brain chemistry. If addiction and the the pain that we cause ourselves from it can change our brain chemistry, so too can healing and so too can recovery. We can reform healthier pathways. What have you found specifically with your Catholics in Recovery ministry, which is unique, right? Like you take the most basic of principles and sacramentalize them and and therefore give us some, something so much more than just the very basic entry level. Okay, this is what you have to do to overcome addiction. Let's bring our faith into this. How have you found that the the sacramental components of Catholicism or the the fact that we we are a church that has hope written into every part of it, how does that make healing for the Catholic unique? Right? Give them the opportunity to heal the brain, heal the heart, heal the family in a different way. I think it's like supercharges what we do in 12-step recovery in some ways. There is a lot of parallel and overlap between the spiritual wisdom of the 12 steps and traditions and sacraments of the Catholic Church. I outline that in my book, The 12 Steps and the Sacraments, and share some stories around that. But in a lot of ways, we find that when people have the freedom to integrate the sacraments and our discussions of faith, our commitments to the saints or to devotions such as the rosary and other things, the things that we talk about in 12-step in, in recovery, conscious contact with God, 
is something that we seek in the 11th step and through maintain conscious contact with God. There is no better way to maintain conscious contact with God than the Eucharist, the physical, the, the, the pinnacle of the sacramental life. Now, in, in other things like the sacrament of reconciliation, in many ways, there's this understanding or approaching the sacrament of reconciliation with an understanding of what the 12 steps invite us to do. It really offers an understanding of the fullness of the sacrament of reconciliation from beginning from a preparation, we call it a moral inventory, a fourth step, sharing that with God and another person, uh, the exact nature of our wrongs, asking him to remove whatever defects of character stand in the way of us serving God and others, and then making amends to people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Within that process, there's a whole lot of both internal work and then mm -hmm. kind of forward-facing work with God and other people. So that and when, when engaging the sacraments with our faith, it's it creates this, um, I would say, a climate for honesty, mm -hmm. climate for openness. One of the patterns that I see, and I'm also curious on your experience around this too, is how open are we to allow and invite healing within these sacraments? And I mm -hmm. certainly probably some sacraments are very private, the sacrament of reconciliation, of course, but the sacrament of the Eucharist. Father Ron Rollheiser in his book, Our One Great Act of Fidelity, speaks of the Eucharist and kind of uh, over, I think, talks about the addict who is broken down like the kernels of wheat and the grapes. We ought to be broken down and crushed so that we can be united in one communal loaf. I, I love that imagery. I love mm -hmm. that approach to the Eucharist. And I think that too oftentimes, and I see this as we approach parishes to start Catholic and recovery fellowships and say, we want to, we want to have healing happening on your campus. There is sometimes a, a reaction both on the parish staff and within members of yeah, but I don't know if I'm really all that comfortable showing up at my parish for healing or mm -hmm. because that assumes there's an assumption there that I need some help. And so I think that we can engage just a culture that allows permission to seek help in the sacraments yeah. and in our parish communities and through Jesus. Um, I think that that would be of great service to individuals and families who are impacted by addiction or just, you know, seeking to be part of that communal loaf. Yeah, I, that's such a great point. And a good word that healing is inward, right? Like I'm working on my healing, but it's it's an outward facing, like I'm not just healing for my own sake, right? Like I'm I'm in a family, I'm in a community, I have a job, right? Like I'm part of this world. We exist in society. And so if we all desire healing, we recognize it's not just a selfish thing. In fact, it's incredibly selfless to admit I need to find healing, I need to find help. You know, hi, this is who I am, and I am addicted in some way. Sure. Maybe don't stand up in the middle of mass and announce that to the world. But if I'm sitting in mass and I look across the room and I see the person who also showed up to the Catholics in recovery meeting and I realize we're in this together. I mean, it's just another component of, of community. Uh, you were you were talking about parish staffs being sometimes resistant. And I, I think there's this attitude within Catholicism of the parish needs to look perfect, right? Like and and. Yeah, we want our floors vacuumed and we want the bathrooms clean and like we want the ushers to know where the baskets are. Like, yes, there's there's a we want things tidy because it's a sacred space. But then there's this whole other component of we also sometimes just want like the nice, neat, tidy people. You know, specifically as parents, we walk into mass with two kids who sometimes don't want to be there or who are climbing all over us or who are making them their their presence very well known. And every now and then you encounter that parishioner who like shoots you a look and they're like, this is a place of silence. And it's like, no, it's actually a place of life. And I feel like that same attitude sometimes arrives in the healing process. People don't need to know that I'm in therapy. People don't need to know that I'm going to a meeting. People don't need to know, like, we'll, we'll create all these excuses for it. 
forgetting that actually maybe your witness to it could be the impetus for somebody else to, to seek it out or for somebody to realize like, Hey, they don't actually have it all together. And that's more relatable than anything else. And now all of a sudden this friendship can form. You, you mentioned this parish fellowship. What have you seen? I mean, without giving details away, I mean, you obviously can't tell us like who's doing what, where, but you have specifically brought this into communities. What have you seen happening in the churches where you've gone and the lives of these people who are embracing healing on this level? Mm-hmm. First, <clears throat> that um, I'll get to that, but I also want to clear something up for the person who might be thinking about taking a step into a yeah. recovery group of some kind. We mentioned, you know, this is a recovery is very anonymous. So mm-hmm. it's not, it's very far from anyone or everyone at the parish knowing that you're, right, saying, right. That, you're that you're participating. But I think that healing ought to be taking place at a parish not, you know, not like right after mass, but on a, instead of pushing that to the fringes of the church in a lot of yeah. ways. Now, in, in what, yeah. Yeah, what we've seen in, in Catholic and recovery groups or communities is a really it just Catholic and recovery serving as a bridge really from the, from the church to other 12 step groups or recovery, recovery communities and vice versa. So many people who are in recovery communities well, some, okay, so many people who are in recovery communities seeking a deeper relationship with their higher power. 12-step groups such as Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, Sex Addicts Anonymous, all these different groups which serve different different compulsions and addictions use the same 12 steps and the same 12-step mm-hmm. principles, often referring to God as a God as we understand him or a higher power, which it's they're not Christian groups. They're not meant to be. If it was just serving Christians only, there would be a whole bunch of people in our population who would not be not be served. It's mm-hmm. important that these groups are not, you know, do not affiliate themselves with a religion. And the literature also says that those who do recover would benefit a lot from from connecting or reconnecting with the religious of with their religion. And mm-hmm. there is sometimes some anti-Catholic sentiment that one will hear in secular 12-step groups, mm-hmm. and that's people sharing their real lived experience. It's unfortunate that that seems to be the only resentment that seems to be okay to maintain in recovery as we speak about resentment as being the number one offender. But, you know, people oftentimes who are then in recovery, maybe seeking, maybe God is pulling them back to the church or to the church for the first time. We've seen many people who have, through Catholic and recovery groups, gotten involved in their in the RCIA program who, you know, several years sober have been in recovery for some time, but now they're ready to take that relationship with God to the next mm-hmm. level and get mm-hmm. more specific. And maybe they've been invited or have seen the witness of a friend who just shares the Catholic faith really freely and joyfully. On the other side too, we've also seen people who, you know, many people who may have attempted to start their recovery in other fellowships but have found some of that anti-Catholic sentiment and then found that there's really nowhere for them to turn. They may have even been referred to the recovery group by their pastor or someone within the church, because for a long time, that's what we've done. We've long kind of delegated some of that healing, which don't get me wrong, those groups continue to and have saved my life. But -hmm. it's my contention that we ought to be accompanying and walking with individuals as they are seeking the church for help and healing Maybe Mm -hmm. part of that is a a humility on our part to recognize that we're not the full solution, that other secular, non-Catholic organizations can be part of that solution. But I think that we ought to have a presence there. And so what we've seen is people who have tried 12-step recovery groups, found it wanting, and have then had this addiction that's been thwarting their spiritual life, their relationship with their family and God and others, have taken that that next approach or a second attempt at finding recovery, getting sober. Some really wonderful examples of that, people with a variety of addictions, and also recognizing, too, that um, yeah, a holistic approach to recovery, it could feed mind, body, and soul. Um, so 
some people who have returned to the sacraments for the first time in a long time. We had a gentleman here in San Diego who returned to the sacrament of reconciliation for the first time in over 50 years after mm. practicing Buddhism for some time, growing up Catholic, tugged back to the Catholic church and uh, made his way through via Catholic and recovery to back to the sacrament. And now he's applying for diaconate and all that great stuff. Wow. That's beautiful. I mean, it's, it, their stories of the sacraments are a mini transformation inside of us every single time, right? You receive the Eucharist, you're different every single time you go to confession, you're different. You're transformed at your baptism. The Holy spirit hopefully is continually guiding you once you've been confirmed. And there, there's, it makes sense that a person who's seeking healing, a person who's in recovery specifically from addiction would find that the transformative power of the sacraments just fits perfectly into that healing journey. We saw, you're talking about, you know, like the 12 steps is incredibly secular. And sometimes there's a resentment that will bubble up to the surface when you're going through your story and anti-Catholic sentiment seems to be pretty strong. We saw John Mulaney last, I guess it was last October, you know, and John Mulaney has been very public about his story of recovery. And so we saw him when he was in his pre-tour before his big tour. So we got, we got like 90 minutes of unedited John Mulaney in New Orleans. It was, it was great as somebody who loves stand-up comedy. And at one point in his story, he talks about intervention. He talks about his, his friends, you know, he, he walks into his apartment, coked out and he just gotten a haircut at SNL. It's hysterical. Eventually it'll be on Netflix and everybody will enjoy this story much better than I'm butchering it right now. But he talked about, he, he kind of, he's sharing how like he's at this rock bottom moment where his friends, many of them very famous comedians are intervening and being like, you have destroyed your life and we're here to help you save it. And I turned to my husband and I was like, this is a holy moment. Like when people intervene, not to prevent you from experiencing natural consequences, but because they love you and because they want to help you figure out how to make that step to healing. Yeah. And I, I think in all of our, our episodes thus far and talking about healing, Various people have shared their stories, have shared kind of the moment where they realized, okay, this is something I need to do. This is the turning point. I've purposely been waiting to ask people for their stories of healing until a certain point in the interview, because, you know, let's talk about the information first and then have you open up a little bit. You mentioned you, you've been drinking since you were 17. Can you share with us a little bit about kind of that wake up moment and when you realized, okay, this is not the life that I want to be living? And what was that rock bottom for you? And, and then what did healing look like? Yeah, um, wonderful. The moment that initially comes to mind took place on October 9th, 2011, where my ex-girlfriend, who was my idol, she was God in my life. She came from a great Catholic family and I wanted what she had, but I wasn't willing to do anything that she was doing to get it. Mm -hmm. And I was just shortcutting basically the good feeling with addiction, alcoholism and drug addiction, other addictive, addictive behaviors. And there was a day where she had just a little bit of hope left in me and I was not acting appropriately. I lit a joint as I was preparing to help her kind of with the paper that she was working on. She walked into my room. She knocked on the door of my little studio apartment and smelled the marijuana in the room as I was telling her that I was getting help and I was doing the right thing, which I wasn't. And she looked me in the eye and she said, Scott, you are absolutely hopeless. You're never going to change. Mm. And she was telling me exactly what I was feeling and what I knew inside to be true. And I don't really, you know, I probably drank myself to, um, you know, just a stupor that night. The next day I took my little beach cruiser and pushed it, rode it to Mission Bay, not far from where I was living in San Diego. And 
pushing through the heavy sand, called a few of my very closest friends from back home, my mom and my dad, to tell them what they already knew that I needed help, that I wasn't, you know, that I was an alcoholic basically, and that they couldn't be the full solution, but um, them standing by my side would be really valuable. So I asked mm-hmm. if I could make a phone call to them once a day. And, you know, for kind of indefinitely, I did that for about the first 60 days just to check in, say I didn't drink the day before or the night before or yet that day. So, you know, I, you might get sick of me feel free to just let it go to voicemail. This is something I need to do to do yeah. for myself and hadn't been accountable for a long time. And then the next day I found a group of recovering alcoholics who had the solution to my problem. And so I got there, I got to that meeting that morning. It was on the second floor. I was hearing laughter and camaraderie, which I thought that if these people know what I'm going through, there's no reason that they have, they have no reason to be laughing. I was miserable. And I got up to the room and they were declaring themselves as alcoholics, as if it was some kind of victory. And I was a total victim of, of everything in life, of my alcoholism and in every circumstance in life. And, you know, the, after that meeting, a man darted across the room. He looked me in the eye. He said, I know exactly how you feel. You don't ever have to drink again. He also said, you and I are going on a journey together and neither one of us is coming back. And he was right on both fronts, on both fronts thus far and um, changed my life. It's, mm. um, those people helped change my life by their witness, by their continuing support. You know, they were, their solution was rooted in serving the newcomer, just as that's exactly how 12 step, how recovery is maintained. And so my recovery today is contingent upon self-sacrifice and service to others, which happens to happen also outside of the professional work that I do with Mm -hmm. Catholic and recovery, you know, regular commitment to meetings, to serving people, to sponsoring people and to taking an interest in people. Addiction is very self-centered. And the solution has to be other focused. Mm. And that's, I think, healing, right? Like healing becomes something we do for ourselves, knowing that it will transform every component of our life, which certainly includes other people. If you could go back to Scott on that day and tell him something at the beginning of this healing journey, what would that piece of advice be? I would say that you're going to be okay. Like there was, I was so insecure. I was so insecure in that moment of of everything. I was insecure about everything. I was, you know, I got sober relatively young at 26, finding sobriety. But I thought, you know, in comparison to my friends who had graduated colleges, who were starting careers, who were doing great things, all those things were not in my life. And I thought that I was just a failure, you know, in comparison. And so, you know, I was was working at a restaurant. I loved my job. I hated my job title. And, and I would even get insecure when people would ask, so what do you do? You know, implying, what do you do for work? And I would say, well, I cook, I, I play beach volleyball. And I'm like, no, what do you do for, you know, I'm just avoiding the question. I was just so insecure about all that. And just, just say, just be yourself. God will take care of all of your concerns. Be present for what's in front of you is the biggest mm-hmm. thing. And um, that's got to be part of the solution. Yeah. Excellent advice. And there's a lot more that you have to offer. So where can folks find Catholics in Recovery? Where can they grab a copy of your book, follow you, maybe reach out if they themselves need help or if they're in a parish that wants to start a fellowship? Where can they find you? Yes. CatholicInRecovery.com is our website, CatholicInRecovery.com. We're going to be publishing, releasing with Ave Maria Press, the Catholic in Recovery workbook this fall released on October 14th. That is a sacramental guide through the 12 steps, which includes and integrates Catholic wisdom from saints, the catechism, scripture, and allows one to really walk through the 12 steps in partnership with others. You'll find all about that at catholicandrecovery.com. Yes, and we are happy to help support anyone who is looking to get a Catholic and Recovery group started in their local community. But if you're looking to to find a, a, a group, a meeting, 
check for our meeting directory of in-person meetings all over the country and virtual meetings, which gather every day. That's wonderful. Scott, thanks so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Katie. You know, I'm always struck by the fact that when I get to talk to Scott, this is the third time I've had the chance to interview him for Ave Explorers. He's always so honest about his story. He doesn't hide it. He, he doesn't leave out details. He just very bluntly says, look, this is where I was. This is who I was. This is what that did in my life. This is what that did to the people that I love. And this is why I needed to change. That, I think, is the part of healing that's sometimes hardest, is the admitting something's got to give, something's got to change, something has to be different. It's hard to admit that. It's hard to step into that process. It can be very, very scary. I would never sit here and tell you from the comfort of my home office talking into a microphone that you can just magically snap your fingers and whoop-de-doo, now everything is going to be okay because you've admitted an addiction or because you've Googled Catholic in recovery or because you've gone to a 12-step meeting or because you went and sat in the Adoration Chapel. All excellent things to do and certainly something that perhaps you need to implement in your life. But what I can tell you is that Scott and many of the people he's walked with through Catholic in recovery, I think a lot of people listening to this series over the past few weeks, that step one isn't just admitting I have a problem. Step one isn't just saying, okay, I need to do something about that. Step one is having the humility and the awareness that healing is available and possible and something to seek and something to long for. I worry sometimes, and we're going to talk about this as the season continues, I worry sometimes that people think they are unworthy of healing. I worry sometimes that people think that their addiction is too great, their struggle too heavy, their wound too deep to be handled. And hopefully this series on healing is starting to work on your head and on your heart to give you an awareness of the worthiness of your journey of healing. We're going to talk more about that in later episodes, but I just wanted to throw it out there. After this conversation with Scott, I was very, very struck by the fact that he clearly is a guy who has come to an understanding of his worth and his value as a result of this journey of healing. And what that what that looks like and what that means when he's able to then share that with other people is really quite beautiful. We have links down in the show notes to Scott Weeman's book, including the brand new workbook for Catholic in Recovery. Some really, really amazing things that I think are going to be very, very helpful for people. There's a discount code down in the show notes, as well as links to everything over on the Ave Maria Press website. We have another excellent episode dropping this week with Rachel Kalaki about addiction to pornography, specifically from the lens of femininity and, and women. So I hope you stick around for more of that excellent conversation. We're always so glad to have you with us. We'll be back next week with a whole lot more of Ave Explores Healing. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.